Hey, everybody, and welcome to Alumless. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Ryan Catherwood. Today is Friday, February the 2nd, 2024. Thank you so much for tuning in. Here on the show, we talk about engagement strategies and educational advancement. Of course, I've got CMAX CEO, fearless leader on the screen with me, Chris Marshall. Great to see you again, sir. Uh, Alumless is a CMAC production. If you have any questions for Chris or myself or just want to say hello, please use the comments section in the LinkedIn event and we'll get to them. And of course, we'll have our 30-minute bonus segment with Lawrence Bolton from Loyola University, Chicago on the podcast edition of Alumless this week. Please introduce yourself again in the LinkedIn comments and let us know you're here watching us live and pick up the podcast for our Friday Cheers section of the show. Of course, we would not be able to do our show without the help of our sponsoring partner, Protopia. We as engagement pros are always thinking about how to create more volunteer opportunities because one of the big reasons volunteers give at two or even three times the rate. At the same time, students throughout their educational journey have questions and could use the advice of alumni as alumni leaders were asked to figure out ways to make the alumni network available from prospective student to former student and development partnerships and develop partnerships across campus that will showcase in real terms how valuable the alumni network can be. So without requiring alumni or students to sign up for another app or platform, Protopia's AI-powered technology activates alumni and turns them into volunteers. Students and alumni seeking advice are connected while removing the administrative burden uh, to the staff. So be sure to check out Protopia. It's the tool that you've been looking for. Visit protopia.co forward slash alumless and be sure to mention that Ryan and Chris sent you. And actually, I think that they have a, um, a webinar coming up that I saw with the folks at um, Denison, Denison uh, which is a CMAC yeah. partner. They're sort of talking about uh, how uh, Protopia has performed uh, for them over the last, uh, not quite a year, I think it's been uh, in the fall that they launched, but, or maybe it was, now I'm kind of forgetting, time flies by, but it's been long okay. enough that they've got some results. And so if you're- Yeah, and one of the signatures there is that they did it as a partnership with their career center, um, the Knowlton Center, they call it at Denison, and it's a really close partnership and both alumni and career staff are going to be on for the webinar. So it should be something people tune into. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Visit the uh, Protopia website and sign up for that webinar. And um, you'll be pleased that you have Protopia on your radar. Uh, so Chris, you know, uh, we just spent some time on the road this week working with our partners at Western Michigan University. And we were on an alumni listening tour, which was fun. Um, and we spent some time cruising around the state of, of uh, Michigan and even in the Indiana. I was in Indianapolis as of 4 a.m. this morning. Uh, so what did you learn from the experience? And um, when should universities go on listening tours? Yeah, um, it was an eye-opening thing. And, and you got to experience even more of it than I did because I ended up uh, having to cut part of it out. But, um, but, but what we have, 23 cities. There were 800 people registered. They were supposed to be focus groups originally, and they grew very large. So we ended up sort of a listening tour just out there on the ground. And the answer to the question is, I think, regularly we should be listening to our alumni and i love what michael carlton did at uh at western michigan he's the new newish alumni leader there he he actually um orchestrated this because he is new enough to the role that he wanted and, and there was a little bit of a lull in their programming and so he felt that it was time coming out of a pandemic 
new leadership and this little gap in alumni programming, we needed to get out there. And the, the, the response he got was way beyond what I think anybody would have imagined. We were hoping for small groups of, you know, six to eight people. And, you know, we had some venues with 40 people at them and we had to do little small little groups around the room to make it work. But um, I, I think to me, it was, it was eye opening in that uh, it gave people the opportunity to hear, have their voice heard. And they did it in a format that allowed for people to write or to go online or to provide it in verbal forms. I, I thought it was just a really well done exercise. And I think, Ryan, something you and I should recommend and encourage our clients to do on a regular, more regular basis, because it was a model you could take and replicate, you know, yeah. at other locations. It was really yeah, well done. I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure you need to do like the 23 no. stops yeah. in two weeks kind of thing, yeah. but <laughs> it definitely, you know, regularly uh, yeah. doing these types of events where, you show up, you have a great conversation. There doesn't necessarily need to be a speaker involved. You make introductions around the room and it's it's activating people often for the first time. And, and what I definitely learned was there's a lot of alumni engagement sort of happening tangentially to the university that the yep. university needs to kind of uh, be in lockstep with that uh, existing volunteerism. And there's plenty of energy, right? Uh, for the university to kind of be excited about, uh, for Western Michigan to be excited. The other big takeaway for me was that they they can't activate and then go away and hibernate. They got to come back and stay active yeah. in the lives of these I mean, alumni. They've had this pattern of of you know splash and then nothing, and they need to be consistent yeah. with that sort of pattern of being out there in front of them and getting them to gather. Yeah, we often work with schools that you know are looking to rejuvenate their programs, you know, in one way or another, maybe it's a new leader, maybe it's just been time to sort of look things over again. What are the telltale signs that an alumni program needs rejuvenation? Yeah. You know, it, it, um, I, I started thinking about, uh, you know, the Jeff Foxworthy, you might be, I don't want to be careful about what I say here, but, but there are certain things that I, as I was thinking about them, if you find yourself looking at a binder and repeating what you've done for the past three years, you might need to rejuvenate your alumni program. <laughs> so I kept coming back to this sort of pattern of things. If you if you find that um, you know, you're, you're focused on events and event only, it might be time to look at rejuvenate your alumni program. Um, you know, there, there are many, many, I think, institutions that just sort of are on a wash, rinse and repeat cycle. And those are all moments where it's just time and it's clear we need to be thinking about what to do differently. And uh, in me, my take on it now is that we're more in the marketing communications and volunteer management business than we are in the event management business than ever before. And I, I think if if we can get programs thinking about and moving away from just event focused, event heavy and event, event intense, uh, we're going to have a, a, a better alumni program overall. So I, I think it's it's probably healthy on a regular basis. I would say survey your alumni every four years. Uh, but also maybe internally take a look at your program every couple of years to make sure you're not getting stale. And uh, there are certain things that pop up along the way. And, and the ones that are in that wash, rinse, repeat, you you kind of know it if you're yeah. there and you got to just acknowledge it and, and start to think about what we got to do to make the change. And change is hard in this business, as you know. Change is hard. About Stopping it. If you're an alumni, if you're an alumni leader and you walk over to your colleagues on the hallway of the development staff and you ask those development officers, what are the alumni programs are you talking about with your donors? Yeah. And they say, oh, God, honestly, I don't even know what you're doing. 
right? Where <laughs> I don't really talk about any of them other than homecoming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You might need to rejuvenate your alumni program. Yeah. You might because <laughs> your colleagues in the development side don't know or care what you're doing. So if you have to tee up you your intro to, to Lawrence here, too, because yeah. sometimes bringing in somebody from outside the industry who has a whole fresh look on how they approach the business is another great way to rejuvenate your alumni program. And Loyola did that when they hired Lawrence a couple of years ago, and he's done some amazing things in his first few years in the job. I think it's been a couple of years. He'll tell us exactly. But uh, sometimes it's bringing in some new blood, new thinking. Uh, I think we got somebody on our call who's going to help us think about that. All right. Well, let's bring out Lawrence. There he is. Hey, Lawrence. There he is. Welcome to Alumnus. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday. Yeah, man. Lawrence Bulletin is the AVP of Constituent Engagement at Loyola University, Chicago, and Executive Director of the Loyola Alumni Association. So we're great to have, grateful for your time, thankful that you're on the show. Um, for those that don't know you well, you've been now leading engagement at Loyola University. It's been about two years, right? And, and you're coming back to higher education after starting your career in student fairs uh, a few years back. After working for a few different types of membership associations, organizations, why did you decide to return to higher ed? It's a great question. Uh, and thanks for asking me that. <laughs> uh, I, I started here at Loyola in August of 2021, which uh, in some cases feels like an eternity ago. Um, but it's really only been about two and a half years. And, yeah. and it's been pretty incredible. And I know we'll talk more about that later on. When I think about why I returned to higher education, there are a few things that come to mind. I wasn't even sure that I was going to go to college. It wasn't really something that was spoken about in my family uh, until very late in the game. And I wasn't even sure that I had the grades in high school to go to college. Um, but after the University of Florida rejected me and I said, that's not really going to be OK, like it needs to be a yes. And we got it to a yes. Uh, and I went to UF. There's a story behind that for another day. Um, I owe honestly everything to my fraternity experience, uh, joining ZBT in college. When I think about higher education, and I know we'll talk about uh, how we get alumni engaged and, and how they differ. For me, when I think about engagement as with my higher education, I think about my fraternity. It inspired me to lead. It, it instilled courage. Uh, it's everything that a fraternity done right did. So that is what really inspired me to go into higher education in the first place. I remember asking my Greek advisor at the time uh, when I was chapter president, and this is someone who I still speak with today, in the meeting, I said, so are you a volunteer or is this something you get paid to do? Yeah. And she laughed like you both just did. And she yeah. said, no, not. And I said, that's awesome. Sign me up. What do I do? Yeah. Uh, so I ended up going to grad school um, for a degree in higher education at the University of Texas at Austin and uh, starting my career in higher ed there. A lot of my career, I would say some might refer to as higher adjacent, because while I worked on a few college campuses uh, in the early 2000s, I spent about 15 years working for my international fraternity headquarters. Hmm. So that was involving working with a couple hundred campuses over those 15 years on all different areas of higher education. And in some ways, it was almost like running a, a university made up of uh, 6,000 undergraduates and 130,000 alumni, because we were doing all of the things, recruitment, speaking yeah. admissions, financial aid and scholarships. We were looking at retention, marketing, uh, academics, all of the things. So to me, it was a really wonderful experience because not only did I get to give back uh, to an organization that made me the person I am today, 
but it also provided me a chance to see so many different campuses and how they operate differently. Right. We'll circle back with later has been very helpful for me in this role today. Um, when I left uh, ZBT staff, I decided to move into a role at the American Jewish Committee, which is a global Jewish advocacy organization leading the Chicago regional office. And I loved it. It was a great experience. Uh, it continues to be a great experience now on the volunteer side as a member of their board. During the pandemic for me uh, was a time for uh, reflection and really thinking about where do I see myself down the road? I don't know if you all had that type of an experience during the pandemic also. I definitely did. And I realized I really wanted to return to higher education. But I had so much enjoyed my time working with alumni when I was at ZBT and donors and working with volunteer board members at AJC and donors that when I saw this role uh, advertised, I thought, this is really interesting. It takes all of my passions and puts them all together mm. to into a role um, that really spoke to me. So long answer to your story, but that is really what inspired my return to higher education was the way Loyola was looking at engagement and really looking at how we can elevate the alumni and volunteer experience. You you and I met through a, a mutual friend, Julie Sina at UCLA, who was at University of Florida. Did you meet her during your undergrad time there? Or she's my dean of students. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. weird. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know if she's listening right now, but it's still weird for me to call her Julia, not Dean Sina, because right. how I He's a previous guest, uh, the great alumni leader at UCLA right now, a previous guest on Alumnus, Julie Sider. Better be watching, Julie. Yeah, I hope she is. <laughs> if not live, certainly in the uh, on a replay, right? But yeah. what do you find most challenging about the work, Lawrence? How how much? I only have like a half hour, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like 90 second response right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. So what do I find most challenging with the work? I think... I would think that many could probably speak to the challenges that the pandemic created and the opportunities that the pandemic created to really look at engagement differently uh, and provided, at least me when I was at AJC and then coming over to Loyola, an opportunity to really develop much deeper relationships with our alumni and with our friends because it was important to us to understand the challenges that they were facing during a very unique and scary time in the world. So at Loyola, uh, we certainly were not immune to some of those same challenges that others faced uh, when it came to some of our activities coming to a halt or some of our activities being looked at differently and really reimagining what engagement can look like as we were really forced into this uh, online community that uh, there were some elements of before, but really 100% for, for a period of time. And I joined the staff at Loyola the very first day of our return to campus in August of 2021, which was great because I was sick of working at home. And I came into um, an area that had so much opportunity. Um, we had several staff positions that were vacant. So an opportunity to be able to build a team, an opportunity to learn from those who had been here for a long time, and to really think about how we can look into the future. And, and Chris will recall, uh, he and I had many conversations yeah. uh, over the course of especially that first year that I was here and very grateful for that. And he also helped therapy me. sessions. <laughs> I mean, they really were. And, and you know, they'll continue. To for <laughs> Everybody in our field needs those therapy sessions every once in a while. And for me, the challenges have really been there are so many opportunities out there. How do we prioritize? And. And I'm still working through that because there is no shortage of things we can do. Um, but that doesn't mean that there are all things that we have to do. Sure. So it's thinking about where is that lowest hanging fruit? Where do we find the best opportunities and how can we really engage our alumni in meaningful ways? And I underline in bold meaningful 
because that is also one of the challenges is that if you were to ask every single one of our alum, what's a meaningful way to give back to Loyola? I know that I would get thousands of answers. We can't do thousands of different things. So that will always remain a challenge. But to me, that's a really exciting challenge. I remember there was, I could see your whiteboard behind at one point you had like 15 different initiatives on the whiteboard behind you. And we were talking about what three do we do this year? (laughs) Conversation. The other thing that I was always amazed at, Lawrence, tell the folks you're hiring I call it blitz that you did at the beginning. You hired a lot of people in a short period of time. Remind us of the numbers. I mean, like 15 people in like a month, it felt like. It did feel like that. And it wasn't just uh, in constituent engagement. It was really in all of advancement. We uh, know that to get to where we want to be, we had to build up and staff up. And I think that when I started, our division as a whole was around 45 or 50 staff members. And I think now we're at about 120, two years later. So. All of our areas have experienced significant growth and the opportunities and challenges that come along with that. Um, When I started here, um, it was a team of three. And through reorganizations, through um, a lot of hiring, through some new initiatives, um, and with additional roles that we'll be adding next year, I think we'll be right around 25 or 26. Wow. So it's a lot of growth uh, in a short period of time. And... uh, there's been a lot that's come along with that. And, <laughs> and I've heard your comments in the beginning before I jumped on about what I've built. I have to say it's what we've built because uh, the team that we've been able to put together has been phenomenal. And I'm just so grateful for them every day. In fact, I was joking, not really joking around, but I was uh, smiling and laughing a little bit in one of our staff meetings uh, just the other day, uh, saying that I love that everyone feels that they can share what's on their mind with me. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they share everything that's on their mind. I would welcome people to. But the fact that I have as much of a transparent relationship with my team, I really think speaks volumes to the type of culture that we've created here and the type of culture that I want to continue to create here. And no matter how many times I say you could always come to me, I know that there will be times that people may not feel comfortable doing that. But the more that I remind people of that and the more that I yep. um, celebrate those opportunities, I hope that we're able to get to a place that that uh, continues to maintain that culture. But again, a long way of answering um, the question. Uh, yeah. It's been a lot of hiring. It's been a lot of quick uh, hiring and it's been exciting. But what you're describing, though, the fact the way you answered the question about giving credit to your team, the way you describe the culture you're talking about is I, I define as leadership. And leadership is critical, not just management. Leadership is critical. And it sounds like you're developing that culture of servant leadership, which is, I think, is wonderful. Let me, let me pivot. Um, I, I put up my pennant behind. This is for you. I hung it for you. Uh, Always do. <laughs> I have to dig it out of my pile, but I found it. Uh, and, and Loyola is a place that has some, like you would typically find, at, like, like, a, like, for example, at a U.S.-based uh, institution, uh, passion around athletics and your basketball program, right? You guys made some runs and you've had, you know, tell some stories about all that went on. So, so sort of standard, typical things you would find a lot of places, but you're at a Jesuit institution at the same time. And my, I might have a fuzz jumping. Uh, my question for you is what makes the Jesuit part of the university unique in how you manage an alumni engagement program? Is there a big differences and does it stand out or are there some things that you would say that are pretty much like every other place? Yeah, um, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record. Good question. Um, I I will say that, uh, and and, and my my team knows this, and I was also very transparent in the interview process when I was being um, interviewed for this position. Uh, I've spent the last 20 years working in the Jewish community. 
Um, right. Right. I, I've heard of the Jesuit community. Before. <laughs> right. Did I really know what it was? No. Um, but I will tell you that what I did learn throughout the interview process and learning more about Loyola University and what Jesuit values mean, I very quickly realized that they are, they are my values. I may call them something different in my faith, um, but they are, they are the same values that I share. Yeah. And so from that standpoint, I would say that a Jesuit university and looking at Jesuit values and looking at the Jesuit way of life, it, it's being a good person. And, and I know that boils something very complicated and very historical down to such a short few words, but it's being a good person. And I won't forget that uh, one of a board meeting that I had attended early on in my time here was on our health science campus in Maywood. And we had a panel of deans from our health science campus along with students. And a medical student was asked the question, what made you choose Loyola compared to other institutions? And just as an aside, uh, 25% of all medical student applications uh, come to Loyola. So it's a very competitive process to get into medical school at Loyola. And, and this young woman stood up and she said something that I'll never forget. I may not say it verbatim, but I will never forget the way it made me feel. Right. He said, what really differentiated Loyola to me from the others was that not only is Loyola going to teach me how to do well as a doctor, it's going to teach me how to do good for my patients and good for the community. And that really stuck with me because when we think about the Jesuit community, and these are phrases that you'll hear and find at all Jesuit schools, being people for others, leading extraordinarily, leading extraordinary lives, um, setting the world on fire. I mean, these are a few phrases that when you think about it, yeah, they're very common phrases in, in at Jesuit universities, but that's no different than what I would hope people would want to do anywhere that they are. I hope that people would want to be people for others. I hope that people would want to go out there and, and make a huge impact on the world. Um, and who wouldn't want to lead, lead an extraordinary life? I hope everybody will want to. Yeah. So I think that our language is a little bit different. And I would say too specific, and I don't know if this is specific to Loyola, but it's the only Jesuit university I've worked at. It is a very, very strong social justice mission. And as a part-time student at Loyola pursuing a doctoral degree, I'm also able to see that as a student in the classroom. And that is unique. And that is not something that I experienced when I went to undergraduate or graduate school. Hmm. So we definitely have those values and there's a lot of Jesuits at Loyola. So you probably wouldn't see that at a non-Jesuit. <laughs> right, right. In fact, just this week, we had our annual Jesuit jams uh, with our basketball tournament. You could look on YouTube and find some pasta videos of that. Um, so I would say there's definitely some unique elements to it. But when I really think about what Jesuit values mean, they're values of good people. Yeah. And I love the way Loyola is very intentional about making sure that those Jesuit values stay front and center. And that is something that I would say really differentiates Loyola and probably all Jesuit universities from non-Jesuit universities in that, yes, every university has a set of values. Every university has a mission statement. Yep. It is not as loud and proud as I see it at Loyola. And that is something that I think really makes an impact when I speak to our students, when I speak to our alumni, because they all talk about whether they are Catholic or not how the Jesuit values really resonated with them as a student and how it continues to resonate them as an alum. Yeah. Yeah. Two follow-ups, Ryan, before you jump on the next question. One, I can't believe you're doing a doctorate in the midst of doing this job. And I only say that because the more times I say it, the, the more I trust myself to finish. <laughs> Live that reality. And then my second comment is uh, Matt Winston's following us from Binghamton and he's on you on the chat. He wrote, 
we went from you went from three to twenty six. I am in awe and jealous. There's a lot of people out there when you said that number are like, holy cow! How did how did you do that? It's amazing. Part of it was uh, restructuring and centralizing our division. Some of it was bringing a, a new area in. That's also yep. a strong yep. part. Some of it was new hires, so it wasn't all new positions. Yep. Yep. Well, sort of a, a combination of, of thoughts is um, question for you is how are you shaping the program? You know, what is what are the, the your goals? Like, how are you construct? How are you thinking about the reconstruction of your mm -hmm. of your program? Are you going from three to twenty six? What what were what were some of the you know the scaffolding that you created that's that's designed to sort of design constituents there? Yeah. What my team and what our volunteers will hear me say often is my goal, my ultimate goal is I want to remove as many boundaries as possible to make it as easy and enjoyable and worthwhile for our alumni and volunteers to be engaged with Loyola, period. That is what I want to see. So when we think about how we're building an engagement program here, that is what I keep in my mind, in the forefront of my mind. That is what I say out loud. That is what I write on a dry erase board. That is what I share with my team over and over again. We want to break down those barriers. And yes, universities have red tape. Yes, things can be challenging. What I also share is I always try to come from a place of yes to see if we can get there as opposed to starting from a place of no. And I take that same philosophy with my staff. I take that same philosophy with our volunteers because when we come from a place of yes, we're able to dream and we're able to dream big. We may not be able to execute on everything, but if we don't dream and we don't try, then we will fail and we will not move the needle and we will not be innovative. So when I think about how do we build this program, I think about it in a couple of ways. With those things in mind, I think about who are our alumni and what do they need? We haven't had a comprehensive survey on alumni attitudes and beliefs in 11 years at Loyola. Um, we have partnered with an organization where we are going to be uh, doing three of those over the next six to nine years. We're in the process of finalizing the first one now. It will launch in May, uh, uh, in April, excuse me. And as I also say, that doesn't mean that's going to be the silver bullet. But that's going to give us a lot of information that we don't currently have. Right. So a lot of it is getting to know who our alumni are um, and seeing how we can create opportunities that follow trends or themes that we are hearing and seeing. But there, it also is a key element in recognizing that we're not operating in a silo. So not only do I remind our team that we are all fundraisers, whether we are a frontline fundraiser or not, we all play a role in fundraising. And also, it is so important that we connect across campus, and we have had to develop and redevelop partnerships and further define partnerships across our campus, too, as we built this program. So, I mean, there's a lot of going into the weeds and details, so I'm keeping that as a, as a very high level, but I'm happy to answer any more specific questions along those lines. Well, a follow-up question before we wrap up our, our live session here is, is a partnership on campus that you're really targeting for, for growth this year? <laughs> so many. Um, I would say it continues to be with our student development affair, uh, student development uh, um, division. We brought back and adjusted uh, what we call our student alumni association last year. Um, we have so many opportunities. We need to make sure all of our Ramblers, before they even become a Rambler, know that when they graduate, the Rambler experience doesn't end. But we have to start that when they're on an admissions tour. We have to start that by sending a onesie to an alum who just had a, a baby. And we have to continue that throughout their time as a student and throughout their time as an alum. We need to reduce as much as possible that gap that they experience in feeling a part of the Rambler community to where I hope there's no gap. But as we've all experienced, that alumnus is where have you been for the last 20 years? 
And while it may be inevitable that we may always have some of those alum because we may not always have their contact information, the goal is that we eliminate that as much as possible by providing a lot of different opportunities from the time that they even think about coming to Loyola till the time that they are hopefully hoping, I can't get my words out, by the time we are hoping that they consider Loyola as part of their uh, estate. Yeah. Is there one last one before we go and, and um, I'll put you on a shot clock. You have a minute to respond. What's the trend? (laughs) No, I'm I'm saying we're out almost out of time. (laughs) 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 What's the one trend, you know, what's the one trend that you're paying most attention to right now? An alumni engagement in the digital space. Absolutely. The answer cannot be more events. It's just impossible. The answer has to be, how are we engaging our alumni in the digital world? And how are we utilizing them as ambassadors in the digital world? Yeah. And how we'll, are we we'll back. I know we have a, 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 a thing to do before we go to the break. But when we come back, I'm going to allow you to answer as long as you want other trends that you're thinking about. So. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll try to be more. That's brief. a big one, right? We, I think oh, Chris and huge. I talk about that one love all it. the time. And we could probably have a mini series on yep. uh, digital engagement, the opportunities. What did we learn during the pandemic? What have we already forgotten after the pandemic? And, and what's the right strategy for us moving forward? But we'll answer that in the podcast section. Your fan club is uh, chiming in at yep. the moment. You have a chat, few people jumping in here. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Chris, who are we featuring in two weeks? Uh, the great Sarah Shoot from the University of Wisconsin. Um, she's awesome. They, you, you know, Sarah, I know you know her well. Uh, I knew Sarah before, when she was in a, a kind of a lieutenant role under the previous leadership at University of Wisconsin Alumni Association and Paula Bonner. Sarah was the successor and has been in the role for 10 years-ish now. And she is amazing, a uh, thought leader in the space and someone that I'm really looking forward to having on the show and hearing about what they're doing at a big, large public institution. And, and, and I, I would argue on the cutting edge of some of the, one of the best alumni programs in the country. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one too. All right. Well, thanks for listening live, everyone. Or if you're not listening live, thanks for playing this episode. We will be back in two weeks with Sarah. And of course, we're going to switch over to another room here in StreamYard and record our bonus segment with Lawrence. And uh, for Chris, I'm Ryan. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Lawrence. Hey, listeners. Chris and I were going to record an ad discussing all the great aspects of Protopia, of which there are many, but instead we thought it would be even better to hear from one of Protopia's current partners. Here's Sally Sistar, Executive Director of Alumni Engagement at Denison University, talking about her experience with the technology. If you like what you hear, be sure to go to protopia.co forward slash alumnus and check it out. How do you see Protopia fitting into your plans? You mentioned a few ways that I might imagine it fitting in, but what do you think? It's a tremendous fit. Listen, I cannot tell you how excited I was when I took this job to know that they already had Protopia, right? It's a very, very smart decision. Um, because one, it just, you know, it with the AI technology enabled, like it takes us out of the equation, right? It is really, a great tool for alumni and students to ask those questions and be connected to, you know, the the top experts, right, or the top individuals to answer those questions for them. Um, what I've been really excited to hear about here at Denison is, you know, if that question goes to five alumni, 
Well, all five of our graduates are answering. And then it gets into, you know, like um, a train of communications between them and the individual asking the question. So it's really facilitating community for us in a way that we couldn't do that ourselves if we were at the helm of trying to, you know, facilitate someone's question going to those individuals, right? It's just, it's automatic. And that's the beauty of it. Um, the other thing I would say to you is that it is also, it's bringing people into, um, it's engaging alumni that may not have engaged with us in any other way, right? But they really are appreciative that, you know, they get an opportunity to, to help another alumni um, member or help a student. Um, so I just, I mean, I can't say enough great things about what a difference maker that has been for us on the engagement level. everybody thank you for picking up the podcast edition of alumnus so glad that we are in your podcast feed we are back with lawrence bulletin from oyola chicago had a great live discussion you know uh lawrence in the beginning of the podcast bonus section i always like to ask guests a little bit about their university because so many people have never visited uh the universities that are represented by our guests before and i have never visited your campus so I would love to hear you just talk a little bit about the university, its connectedness with the city of Chicago. We talked a little bit about the Jesuit tradition, but if you could just kind of paint the picture for listeners of what Loyola University of Chicago is all about. Sure, happy to. Um, so we talked previously about uh, Loyola's Jesuit mission and what that looks like on a day-to-day -day and, and how wonderful it is to be part of that community. Uh, interestingly enough, having lived in Chicago for six years before working at Loyola, I had never been to any of the Loyola campuses. And a lot of people don't realize that in Chicago, we have three campuses. I work on what we call our water tower campus, which is downtown right on Michigan Avenue. In fact, when I look this way, I see Michigan Avenue and I see Lake Michigan and I see beautiful tall architecture buildings. Really, really cool spot. So on our water tower campus, we have our law school, our business school, um, our Arupe College, which is our two-year community college. It's part of Loyola as well as a few other academic programs, administration building. We have a block of buildings downtown. Uh, you go about six or seven miles north up along Lake Michigan, and you go to our Lakeshore campus, which is, and we have a residence hall downtown too. Uh, when you go up to our Lakeshore campus, that's the campus when you think of the traditional college campus, that's right. what you've got there. You've got the quads, you've got the residence halls, you've got academic buildings, you've got our chapel. It sits right on Lake Michigan, and we have a library that if you go into the library, it was just noted in a magazine as one of the most beautiful in the world. All windows, all water, it, and there's rooms in some of these buildings where I feel like I'm on a cruise ship. It is absolutely stunning, and we have our student center there, our um, arena there. Uh, it is just a really fun vibe and a really fun place to be. And we have a shuttle that goes in between the downtown and water tower, uh, downtown and Lakeshore campus. And then about 40 minutes west of here, we have our Maywood campus, and that consists of our Strict School of Medicine, our Parkinson School of Public Health and Health Policy, as well as our Niehoff School of Nursing. So uh, those are largely graduate programs, but there are some undergraduates that have classes over there too. Um, and then we have a fourth campus in Rome, our John Felice Rome Center, where a lot of our students will choose to study abroad, and a lot of other students outside of Loyola will 
choose to study at Loyola's Rome Center, which really creates another unique group of uh, friends of Loyola that we can engage with. Um, and we do engage with them long after graduation from their alma mater. Beautiful campus. Um, and today the sun is shining and it's actually 37. And I never thought the South Florida kid would say it's a heat wave. Um, but uh, I, I invite all of you to come visit us and I'm happy to get you a tour. It's a balmy 37 there in Chicago. Yeah. Um, well, that's that was really helpful, and and I did not know that you had four campuses, including the campus in Rome. What's the alumni number total alumni population? Uh, total, so total. Um, if you're counting those that we may not be able to contact, we're around two hundred thousand. Um, okay. when you think about solicitable, we're at a, just under one hundred and seventy thousand. Got it, yeah. Chris. What have been your impressions of Loyola? And, and it's been learning it through Lawrence's eyes that it's a very interesting, complex institution that I, you know, totally underestimated until you look under the hood and you really get to know it. My biggest, I, I have two major impressions. One on the alumni side, I'll tell a little bit about, and then uh, and one on the university wide, I want Lawrence to tell the story. He knows it better. Uh, and it, mine on the alumni side is this, is that, you know, with, with growing from three to 26, coming in from kind of outside, but higher ed adjacent, as you describe it, I like that term. Um, you brought, I would use the word innovation into the space that uh, we, you and I sat down at the case summit in New York this past July, and you were sort of ticking off what was on the top of your list. And I wrote down right then and there, we got to have you on the alumnus episode because there was so many cool things you were doing that, you know, a lot of places don't ever get to because they're doing the tried and true, the wash, rinse, repeat. I talked about at the opening and, and you have brought this innovation to the space, which has been really impressive and your own leadership of your own program there. And you, you know, when you talk about your team, you can hear that, but also your own leadership as part of the industry. You're active with Pequod, you're active with the CAAE. So all those things to me, leadership innovation are the two words I would point to at Loyola and the alumni program. So I mean that as a compliment in the sincerest way, Lawrence, and really fun to watch you grow in the program. My other impression though, uh, if you don't mind telling the story is, is when your basketball team has made a few magical runs, there was a sister. I think she's passed since this uh, all took place. No, she's still. Oh my god! I should take this part out. Take that part still out. Still going. Please. But she's she's this iconic, amazing individual who is like beloved by your entire alumni and fan base. So tell us the story of Sister Jean. Jean, I thought it was Jean. Yeah, Mister Jean. Um, so. Also, admittedly, before working at Loyola, I'm not sure I knew who that was, but I will tell you that as soon as I started telling people that I was coming to work at Loyola, the first question was not, what are you going to do? The first question was, are you going to make Sister Jean? Sister Jean. <laughs> and I thought, well, I mean, I hope so. I, I got to Google this now and figure this out. Um, so Loyola uh, men's basketball team made the uh, final four in 2018 and <laughs> Sister Jean is the chaplain for the men's basketball team. So she goes to all the games. Uh, she oftentimes will travel with the team. And as this team, as our team started getting further and further in the tournament, people started taking notice of who's, who's Sister Jean? Who's this? Who, who is she? Right. And wh why is she at all these games? And what's the story? And as the Ramblers got further and further in the tournament, people asked more and more questions and, and, she really started to become famous at that point. Right. Yeah. And then Loyola made the sweet 16 after that. Um, no national championship yet. That's still uh one and only 1963, but the only men's basketball team in the state of Illinois to the States who have done that. And um, she is, she's an amazing 
she's just incredible. She's 104 years old. She still goes to her office every day. She sometimes I think she still may even take the shuttle. Um, and she goes to the games and she has been interviewed by anybody and everybody. I was in her office the other day and there was a bouquet of flowers and a note from President Biden. Um, she has been interviewed so many times. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing funny. One of her more recent interviews um, in the last year, this was before her book came out because, yes, yeah, she's had she's got a book. She's a what I um, uh, wake up with purpose. What I learned in my first 100 years. And uh, she was being interviewed and someone said, so what is it like to be a national celebrity? And she said, excuse me, international celebrity. <laughs> she is incredible. So uh, when you come it. to Loyola, you got to meet Sister Jean. She is just a precious, precious. Uh, uh, forgive um, my faux pas and God bless her for 104 still going. Is she still active with the team though? Is she still going to games? And wow. Oh, yeah. she, she, she's the chaplain to the team. She prays with the team. She's, she's our scouting report expert. Yeah. And she still applies to emails. Um, she has personally signed probably a thousand copies of her book at this point. And the memory that she has is incredible. I have watched alumni from decades before come over to her and say, Sister Jean, you probably don't remember me. And then she says, oh, I do, and lists five things about them. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. I don't know what I did yesterday, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's my impression, right? I barely remember yesterday. <laughs> that's definitely true. <laughs> uh, we were wrapping up the, the first section of the, the live show, talking about trends in our, in our field and, and things that you're thinking about. You mentioned digital engagement and its role in making things simple at uh, Loyola Chicago. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What are some of the other trends that you've got on your mind that you're thinking about right now and mm -hmm. how they are impacting your strategy and planning? Yeah, uh, definitely. So another and very important area that we're thinking about is we know that students attending higher education institutions are becoming more and more diverse, um, much more so than even 10 years ago. And as we look at the upcoming demographic cliff, that's another thing that we need to be thinking about. Um, I do believe strongly that Loyola is going to be in a real good uh, place and shape uh, that hopefully will not really be impacted by the demographic cliff because of our focus on really making an education at Loyola accessible. Um, but when you look at our student body today, it is so different than even five years ago. This past freshman class, um, well, first of all, the last four or five years, we brought in the largest freshman class in history over and over again. Wow. And this year, a slight majority of our incoming and uh, incoming class identified as non-white, first time in our history. Wow. Um, this past year, we were the only school in, in the Chicago land area to have increased black student enrollment, and we still have a ways to go. Um, though I believe it was last year and I may be getting my facts slightly, um, uh, slightly off, but it was either last year or this year that a slight majority of our incoming students also came from out of state. Now it's still largely Midwest, but when you go back years ago, we were a commuter school, almost all from Chicago area. So yep. when, when the question that I didn't actually answer earlier about our connectedness to the city of Chicago, it's one and the same. I mean, Loyola alumni, we still have about 90,000 of our alumni that live in the greater Chicagoland area. So you can't go anywhere in Chicago um, without seeing a, a Loyola impact and feeling a Loyola impact. So we're really thinking about what that diversity means, because when I want when I think about how I want our students to see themselves as active alumni, 
they need to see themselves as active alumni. And that sometimes means, or oftentimes means, they need to see people that have shared similar experiences. They need to see people that may be from a geographic area that they're from. They need to see people that have had um, shared opportunities at Loyola. And, you know, when I think about the history of our campus, and this is unique to not all universities, we had the time when we were all commuter. We had the time when we started building residence halls. We had the time when we started bringing in more out-of-state students. We had the time when athletics really started to take a, a larger role in our engagement. So there have been so many stages of Loyola over the years that another challenge, speaking to a question asked earlier, is that depending on when you went to Loyola, could very well um, answer the question of how you want to engage with Loyola. But it, directly to the trend, as our student population diversifies, we have to make sure that is reflected in our volunteer opportunities and our boards across our entire community. I really think that the um, the stages or eras challenge for alumni engagement pros is is a, one of the biggest in this the that we face. Just name changes and uh, branding changes. You know, Chris, uh, just working with the Western Michigan folks the last two weeks, I can't tell you how many people were pissed off about. <laughs> you know, the change in their logos, right? And and colors and things like that. And, um, but, you know, different era, right? From yep. years ago that people still talk about and informs how they think and feel and participate. But let, Lawrence, let's go back just a little bit to your experiences working for other nonprofits. You mentioned them in the live edition, the American Jewish Committee in Zeta Beta Tau fraternity, of which you were a member. And you, you I was also in a fraternity and it was a hugely important uh, aspect of my college life. How did those two work experiences help inform your approach to engagement? Yeah, uh, and they definitely did. And I'm very grateful for those experiences. There are so many uh, people that I hear say what I'm about to say. And sadly, sometimes I hear within our own industry of, gosh, like our work would just be so much easier if we didn't have volunteers. Or our work would be so much easier if people would just do what we want them to do. And that's that's a cop-out answer. That's a cop-out approach. And that's probably an approach that doesn't belong in our field. Does definitely doesn't belong in our field. A phrase that I oftentimes use is volunteers don't get in our way, they are our way. So when I think about my experiences at ZBT at AJC, we couldn't do our work without the active involvement of our volunteers, of our boards, of our advisors. It, it would just be impossible. No matter where we work in higher education or a nonprofit, we're never going to have the number of staff we need. So how do we how do we accomplish what we need to accomplish then? We bring in volunteers and we give them a role that's meaningful to them and we give them an opportunity to shine. And we also think about it from the volunteer life cycle. So it's volunteer recruitment and retention, volunteer recognition, volunteer assessment. It's really thinking about it holistically in the very same ways that we would think about this from a staff perspective. But when I think about those experiences that I had prior, they really helped to fine tune my understanding of the importance that the role that volunteers play. Because I'll tell you, when I started at ZBT in 2005, as the director of chapter services, I was working with a lot of chapter advisors who were volunteers and alum of ZBT. And there were so many times I'd say to myself, oh, this is like the worst part of my job. Like they just keep telling me what to do. Um, but over the years, I really learned to appreciate it because we simply just can't do what we want to do without a, a, a dedicated and um, motivated volunteer base. So that's one of the things that I think about. And then when I think about it from the flip side, there's so much that I know now that I wish I knew then when it comes to engagement and 
tracking engagement, defining engagement, um, things that were not part of my lingo really before I came to Loyola. So I'm really grateful for working in a division that is very data informed through the work that we do. So uh, that's what immediately comes to mind. Do you think we should be looking towards other nonprofits for inspiration? I mean, obviously you learned a lot. You've brought it to your job uh, at Loyola. What do you think? I mean, are there other aspects that we should model? Always. There's always going to be other institutions, other nonprofits that we will learn from and vice versa. I mean, I hope that we're doing things at Loyola that other nonprofits are looking at and thinking that's something that we may want to try. But absolutely. I've been very involved in an organization called the American Society of Association Executives for over a decade. It's where I have my certified association executive credential from. And I have learned so much from interacting with different nonprofit associations over the years. And I'm talking about associations as large as the American Medical Association to the time that I met someone who was the sole staff member of, I forget what it was, but it involved um, uh, the like the American Watermelon Association and the business card <laughs> scratch and sniff. And I thought, this is genius. I love the smell of watermelon. <laughs> but so there's like such the gamut of associations. That's a real story. Like, look it up. I think they still exist. Um, but there's so much we can learn about mentorship, about board governance, whether they're a fiduciary board or an advisory board, how we recognize our volunteers, how we look at further ways to engage them. How do we utilize the resources that we have, knowing that we're probably always going to be under-resourced? There are some things that I have picked up from the tiniest of associations that have such limited resources that I think, how in the world did you do that? And I'll sit down and have a conversation. So never think that, A, we know everything because that's going to fail. Um, never think that we can only learn from inside our industry because then you've got blinders on. And never think that we can't learn from an organization or an association that may be wildly different from the work that we're doing, because that's just not taking advantage of networking. So yeah, there's always going to be opportunities to learn. And if you can't find an opportunity to learn, you're looking in the wrong places. Have you found in your hiring that you're looking at these places for talent? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there, I'm trying to think of, of the folks that I have on staff. And, and I don't say this is like, a, this is been intentional, but I don't think that I had anyone on my staff that has worked in a university alumni relations role before. Um, and again, I don't say that because we're intentionally hiring people um, with that background. I'm saying it because those tend to be the people that I have found to have the broadest view of the work that we're doing. If you know membership, if you know engagement, if you know working with volunteers, sure. right. it's all transferable. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you when we've got people in candidate pools that have worked at universities, that's great, and they tend to be competitive candidates. Um, it, it's really been interesting to see how that's worked out. Again, not by design; it's just how it's worked out. Yeah, I'm going to skip to our my second question here, Ryan. Uh, for this is for Lawrence, of course. Well, Lawrence, finish the sentence. Uh, the most profound moment I've had so far as the AVP at Loyola University Chicago is. When I met Sister Jean, obviously. <laughs> uh, but really, that was a moment. I will give you I another bet. example, too, though. Yeah, I'll tell you the most profound moment I had. I was speaking to a volunteer. Um, Loyola, like any other institution, is subject to turnover and staff transition and all of the things that we see in higher education in a very competitive marketplace. So what I'm about to say is not a critique of Loyola. I see it everywhere. I was meeting with a volunteer um, president of a board 
who had been involved for many years, and it was over the phone. And I said, so I'd love to learn more about your volunteer experience. And this volunteer said, ask me that again in a year so I know you're sticking around for a while. And that was really telling because I do see in our industry, and we talk often about that 18-month mark being a pivotal time of when if people don't see a career path, they're going to start interviewing somewhere else. It doesn't matter if if it's their first role or they've been in the field for a while. I would like to think everyone wants to know that there's a path for them. Some people may be very happy in the role they're in, and that's fine too. But I find that a lot of people want to know what that path is, or even if it's growth in the role that they're in. So I think it was a really telling conversation to me because it really speaks to not only how are we retaining our staff, how are we retaining our volunteer leaders, but how are we transitioning information from one person to the next? And that is so important. And that was a real profound moment for me because I realized, wow, that there is an opportunity here to develop deeper relationships and more trust with our volunteers. And really, it all goes back to how do we break down those barriers? Some of the folks that I've met at at Loyola, again, this is no different from many other institutions and not a critique of Loyola, have said it's really hard to get things done because there's so many steps we have to take. So when we're able to develop those trusting relationships and when they hear us say, we're coming from a place of yes, and we want to make this as easy as possible, that's developing a rapport that I think is really important. Yeah. Great answer. I think the, um, yeah. was, I was sitting here just thinking about that idea of a volunteer saying, let's talk, let's talk again in a year when I know that you've, you've stuck around or, you know, a teammate and, and how important that is for volunteers who almost always have a longer view in mind, I think. And, you know, sometimes our viewpoints are a little shorter in. Um, well, let's move on to the Friday Cheers portion of our show. We Every week, we try to end the broadcast, the, the podcast, with a uh, divergence into maybe non-advancement-related topics by way of talking about what we've been interested in, what we've been thinking about. Could be books, could be podcasts, could be articles, could be pretty much anything. Uh, Lawrence, what's your Friday Cheers? Do I only get to choose one? You can you can have more than one. That's that's cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two um, because they're very different. One, I'm gonna go super deep and personal. Maybe not super deep, but super personal. So my daughter, I'm looking at my phone intentionally right now. Um, my daughter, who is eight years old, um, has a, 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 a unusable phone. We're not ready to give her like a full cell phone, but we were able to set it up where she's able to text only the people that we have entered into her phone. So. I had a moment yesterday of, wow, not only is my daughter growing up, but am I getting old, feeling old, when I get a text message from her that just says, I love you, dad. Oh, and it oh. was one of those moments where I, I it, time's a thief. And yeah. it's just another reminder of how do we make the time for things that are important? And and that's going to be different for everyone. For me, it's making sure that my daughter sees me as visible, as supportive, as someone who's a constant in her life and in a job that involves travel and with a lot of other volunteer roles that I'm engaged with. Uh, it's a balancing act. And um, it, it was just one of those moments yesterday. So that's yeah, the yeah, first. Wonderful. wonderful. Thank yeah, you. When my, when my daughter, she's nine, when she texts me, it's usually what's for dinner, dad. <laughs> oh yeah i'm sure i mean listen this is the honeymoon phase of the texting I'm sure <laughs> be like, can you stop texting me dad i'm busy yeah 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 we're not there yet 
thing I think about, and in and I say this truly not to 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 get political, but you'll see where I'm going with this. I think about the wars that we have going on across the country, and I think about our own state of government and politics in the United States. And to me, all of these things come down to how do we do a better job of creating opportunities for productive civil discourse? How do we create opportunities to listen and understand? How do we create opportunities to help people realize that across this world, there's more that we have in common than makes us different? And in our roles as leading alumni associations, we have a great responsibility and an obligation to incorporate that into the work that we're doing. And as I look ahead at how I want to innovate with our program at Loyola, I, I think it is our job to help our alumni understand how to engage with one another. It may seem very simple, but it is an art that has been lost. And all we have to do is look at Twitter, which I recently deleted, and it was a very feel-good yeah. feel moment for me. <laughs> um, you could look at any social media channel. And our, our kids and our young folks in our community are seeing people at the highest levels speaking so poorly of one another. And what does that say about our world? What does that say about our society? So when we are able to bring people together and really help them to understand the value of listening, the value of understanding, the value of not making assumptions, and the value of realizing that we're all here for one another, that is the way that we all play our part in creating a better world. And that's what I want to do at Loyola. That's what I want my daughter to be raised in. Um, and that's just the legacy that I hope to leave. So cheers on Friday. Wow. Awesome. Cheers indeed. How about you, Chris? I don't feel worthy of going after those two wonderful examples, but um, I'll, I'll share one. Um, I, I have two. One quick one. My 21-year-old son is a junior in college. Last night told me that he is going through a full detox. So he's not drinking. Um, he's He wasn't drinking before he was 21, of course, but now that he's 21, he's not drinking anymore. He's um, uh, no sugar. So eating healthy, good regular sleep. But the big one for him has been he's been on a social media. Deep, he's off all social media. And he says it's been so relieving for him to not be viewing all this, <laughs> the toxicity that's out there that you were describing, which made me think of it, Lawrence. So so kudos to a 21-year-old son uh, finding that moment where he's he's gone a week now of it and he's in a good place. So I'm, I'm proud of him. My original one though, is, is it's about depth of a relationship that uh, we often don't get to have as consultants. A lot of times they're cursory, one-off. Sometimes they're just, you know, conversations, virtually speaking, you know, a couple times a month and then, you know, the client moves on. Sometimes you go a little deeper where you can look at things, but I've had the opportunity for the past four months, two more to go, to have a relationship with a, a, a client, Rollins College down in Florida, where I've been their interim executive director, basically. So two days a week, I'm there every other week. And the other two days a week, I'm doing virtually leading a team of four people and um, getting to know the institution, the president, the, the dean of the, they have a separate business school, which is a very interesting and a brand new dean who's amazing. Um, the, the leadership team, the vice president and the AVPs. And, and it's been a refreshing uh, change in the depth of connection I've had with the people at a client that has just changed the way I've thought about the work that Ryan and I do. And, you know, you, you live in a place every day, Lawrence, we tend to hop from place to place. And sometimes literally in a day, I can change that banner behind me seven times and I'm having different conversations about different topics and we're sort of hopping and, and those are superficial and they can be helpful, but they're, they're harder to get the traction. And, 
this experience at Rollins has opened my eyes to the depth of the engagement uh, with a client that I talk about often in the context of uh, depth of engagement with alumni. If you're in your role, Lawrence, how do we get make sure a lot of people are under the tent, but the people that are, we make sure we really take care of them and build those relationships. So I'm finding that same thing happening in real time with my this one client particularly here, and I'm enjoying it more than I can I can say about any you know it's about any other role I've had in a consulting gig along the way where you get sort of I call it roll the sleeves up and you're part of the team. I miss that part of it to be honest with you, and I'm finding that in the Rollins experience. Those are awesome. That's cool, Chris, that, you, that you would say that actually, because um, I'd imagine how there's the, the stresses of the commute, right? The idea of management, uh, of you know having direct reports, right? These add stressors to your life as well, and and to sort of be coming out. Uh, feeling like you do about how positive an experience it has been and that sort of bodes well for you and for the university yeah i, I don't know I, I would recommend it as a course of action if you, <laughs> but but it's been wonderful in the long run i have to admit thanks yeah awesome well i'll, I'll leave us today with um a book recommendation i just finished a book it's a short one this week it's called tinkers and it was written in 2009 first novel by uh, American author Paul Harding. And um, because uh, Wikipedia did such a nice job of summarizing it, I'm going to read the quick summary paragraph that they wrote because uh, it was really great. Tinkers follows George Crosby in the days before he dies and his memories from his childhood. The book takes the reader through both George's life as well as his father's, Howard, who sells home goods from a wagon in New England. The reader learns about George's skills fixing clocks, which become a metaphor for life's beauty as well as its fragility. It is also about Howard's struggle with epilepsy as well as his own relationship with his father, who was a minister who fell ill when Howard was a boy. It is a novel that is not only about death, but the gift uh, of simple gifts of life, of nature and being in the world. And it's about fathers, sons, solitude and connection. And it was it really was a wonderful book. And I've never read one quite like it before where the the subject is is on his deathbed and kind of thinking about and talking about and and um it doesn't it's not wasn't morbid, right? It was really positive and beautiful and uh, it made me sort of um stop and think on a number of different evenings as I was reading it. But well worth the well worth the read. All right. Well, for Lauren Spalton at Loyola University of Chicago, for Chris Marshall, CMAC president, founder, and co-host of Alumnus. <laughs> Lawrence, thank you so much. This was really a great episode, and I loved your your thinking and your articulation of those of everything you're doing. Well done. Thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation, and I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. Thanks so much, Lawrence. Thanks, everybody. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you in two weeks with Sarah Shutt from University of Wisconsin-Madison. It'll be a great conversation. Till then, uh, pick us up in your podcast feed, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again.